Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you, buddy? Chris, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm a federale. <laughs> Listen to our Boko to learn the significance of that line that Chris just said. I truly hope that like a bunch of people listening to this just like activated like the Manchurian <laughs> candidate. <laughs> they were like, I've been waiting 23 years to hear this. That line of dialogue from the 1999 Martin Lawrence movie Blue Streak just set them, set them off. We did just before recording this record some Boko where Chris explains the significance of that line uh, in his teenage years. And uh, if you're a patron, you will hear it. On this week's show, we are once again deciding what's raw in comic books. That's right. It's Raw Christmas Eve. Yes, I was wondering if you had the webpage open, but yes, Matt, this is also our last regular episode of the year. It is. Feels like, it honestly feels like it has flown by. It really does, and uh, it feels early for us to be doing that, but our next episode is the Christmas special, and then, and then yeah, we'll be done for 2023. Outside of, like, every story ever, uh... That yeah, that'll be that'll be it. Um, we do have a comics catch up lined up. That mm-hmm. is both a Christmas comics catch up and a stealth tribute to Keith Giffen. Uh, so we'll be doing that soon. But yeah, the it is it is wild to be here so close to the end of the year. Chris, you mentioned the page. List of WWE Raw special episodes. Mm -hmm. The episode that I chose to name this episode after, Raw Christmas Eve, is specifically the December 24th, 2012 episode of Monday Night Raw. That would be... You don't even have to tell me. That's the one where Alberto Del Rio hits Santa Claus with his car, and (laughs) then John Cena has to wrestle Alberto Del Rio to bring Santa back to life. That is correct. <laughs> and you know what? Santa Rio is the kind of guy who would hit Santa Claus with his car and not even feel bad about it. That is true. That tracks. Uh, also, Santa was portrayed by Mick Foley because they needed hey, a Santa hey. who could take a bump. Kayfabe. Kayfabe, bud. <laughs> Real quick, that episode has one of my genuine favorite comedy moments in wrestling. And I'm almost sure they had to have stolen it from somewhere. Okay. But Santa is like in a hospital bed after being hit by a car. And they've got the the uh, EKG on and it's beeping with his heartbeat. 
And then, so it's like, beep, 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 beep. Beep 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 beep, and that's how you know Santa is is recovering. Uh huh. Because his heartbeat, his heartbeat plays Jingle Bells. That's a good bit. That is a good bit. I wonder what person with an actual sense of humor at WWE wrote that. Freddie Twenty Twelve. Freddie Prince Jr. Chris O'Neill. Could have been Freddie Prince Jr. Before we get to Raw Christmas Eve. Before we get to some raw lists, we do have some business to take care of, Chris. The first bit of business is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who have ridden that one-horse open sleigh all the way down to 662 Gimmick Street. And you know what's there. Well, the petting zoo is at 661. Yeah. So so let me know what's the 662. What do you got? Uh, it's It's the Blockbuster. Oh, of course, <laughs> where you could rent Blue Streak. Yeah. It's the blockbuster that only has movies that you or I rented in our childhoods. Give me three, give me three tapes that would absolutely be there for you. Uh, the animated film Vampire Hunter D. Of course, yes. Which I rented so many times. From my local Blockbuster video. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spies Like Us, a movie that I remember renting many times. Mm, that's a good one. But that I could not tell you the plot of at all. Nope. And 976 Evil 2, a movie that I would walk by and like be very curious about, but never rent. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, mine, I'm going to go with Blue Streak. Um, Ghost yeah. in the Shell. Perfect. Uh, and then my version of ju- like the box art I remember that I that I never rented. Doctor Giggles. Doctor Giggles. <laughs> Doctor Giggles is going to be all up on that on that shelf. I like how one of ours, each of ours, has an anime that was in that commercial for like anime movies on VHS. Where that was mostly clips from Akira, as I recall. Where in that commercial, it was like anime was porn. Yeah, because it was like these are animated movies for adults. I've I've told this story on another podcast for obvious reasons, but like the first time I ever heard about Sailor Moon, it was in uh, Flux magazine, uh-huh. and they they only described it as a show where teen girls get naked before gradually being enveloped in sailor costumes, which is true, but not how I would describe the television show Sailor Moon. There was a real market in like the mid to late nineties of making anime seem even more Purient than it w- was. Like, I think this is the ad. I'll put it in the show notes too. But it's 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 for like a set of VHS tapes that you could order, and it starts with "This ain't no Mickey Mouse. This ain't no Looney Tunes." <laughs> oh man, the best of anime too. Yeah, 
and it's like Wrath of the Ninja. It's not Legend of the Overfiend. It's fucking. Yeah. It, it ain't. It ain't La Blue Girl. <laughs> right. Actually, I'm only a few seconds into this. <laughs> the, oh, you you know they had to have Slayers in there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. There's. I think there's like a Dirty Pair uh, movie. Very funny. Oh, Project Echo. I want to go back and rewatch Project Echo. Yeah, it's good stuff. Grown up, gone wild. It's a Columbia House video because it's like a like a VHS you know club that you join. You get Project Echo free with a credit card order. Yeah, that's yeah. that's worth it. We're way off track, Chris. The, the blockbuster is we at. Way off track, but I, I want to watch Project Echo. So the blockbuster is there. Don't go there. There's nothing for you there. <laughs> There's just a copy of Ghost in the Shell and a copy of Dr. Eagles. Uh-huh. They don't even have Akira. But what do you, wait, where you can go and what you can do is go to patreon.com slash Ajax, where you can kick in as little as a dollar to help support the show, help us keep making content like this, which I think is well worth it. And most importantly, help us pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. Uh, Our newest Patreon supporter is uh, Peter Velez. Oh, thank you, Peter. Uh, If you would like to be like Peter, you can head over to patreon.com slash Ajax and kick in as little as a dollar a month to make sure that we do this show every week, that we do... Uh, movie fighters and snack situation that we do comics catch up and the every story ever special. All of those shows are made possible by your support on Patreon. And as a patron, you get every single one of those shows that I just listed completely ad free. Uh, you do not have ads in your special Patreon feed that you get only as a patron. You I mean, can also for get this ad for the best of anime too. That's not an ad we were paid for. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, it is like if the best of anime two wants to advertise on this show, not a sponsor, but absolutely could be, absolutely could be. You can also get uh, cool stuff like bonus content. We just recorded some before recording this episode of War Rocket Ajax. Sometimes we record special bonus audio. Sometimes I cut out stuff that won't fit in the regular episode, and I put up those outtakes. Uh, sometimes Chris writes stuff special for the Patreon that only patrons get to read. A lot of video game reviews are exclusive to the Patreon. I've written a couple things that are only on the Patreon as well. So if you want to read some of Chris's writing that you can't get anywhere else, you can go to the Patreon and get that. Uh, Line-stepping privileges for our segments, which include Every Story Ever and what's on this episode, Thursday Night Raw, and also physical rewards. We're going to start thinking soon about our 2024 t-shirt, and uh, people at that level get the t-shirt. And only the Is it people. legal for us to make a t-shirt that just says, this ain't no Mickey Mouse, this ain't no Looney Tunes? What I like about that is that Looney Tunes is misspelled, perhaps on purpose, to avoid copyright issues. This ad, this is an ad for if you like ECW. Yes, I bet it was on ECW programming all the time. Almost assuredly. Yeah. I re- I remember these ads and this wasn't the only one. This this is one I kind of remember, but 
there was another ad that was like a late night anime VHS ad that, as I recall, almost entirely had clips from Akira in it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yep. Maybe that was Best of uh, Anime 1. That might have been Best of Anime 1, yeah. I can't find the ad for that, though, uh, at the moment. All right, Chris, with that, it's time to tell folks our comforts and joys for this week. Let's do it. Chris, what's bringing you comfort this week? I'll tell you what's bringing me comfort this week, Matt. Stories. Mm, Stories. The stories that really matter. The ones where people had a chance to stop, but they kept going. Because there's some things in this world worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. If Samwise Gamgee says that shit and you don't cry, then I don't fuck with you. (laughs) And that is a fact. Uh But I am going to see that a theater here in beautiful South Minneapolis, Minnesota, is uh, having an all-day Lord of the Rings movie marathon Saturday. So, uh, by the time you hear this, I will have experienced it. Matt, for you and I, I have one more day to prepare myself, but I'm stoked. Tis the season, buddy. That is exciting. It's very exciting. It's so exciting. I honestly, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Because that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of movie. I don't, and I don't like being in the theater, as you know, but I'll tell you what I do like, and that's the goddamn Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh Uh-huh. I, I think those might be my favorite movies. I don't consider myself to be someone who has a favorite movie but having watched those so many times including twice already this year i i don't know man i think they might be my favorite movies so are they showing the theatrical cuts in the theater or are they showing the extended cuts they I, it, they better be showing the extended versions because otherwise, because if they're, what's the point if they're not? Look, those movies are plenty long if they just show the theatrical versions. Honestly, the main reason I'm hoping they show the extended versions is because uh, I feel like we're all going to need those extra 10 minutes of credits in each one when they list off every member of the Lord of the Rings fan club. So just, some might know, be like, in attendance. For facilities purposes. Yeah, you, you need those, those credits intermissions. Uh, yeah. to do your business. I don't really need to see Mary and Pippin getting high at Isengard. I mean, I don't mind seeing it, don't get me wrong. But I don't need to see it. What I need is that is a little a little time to stretch my legs before uh you know after Boromir gets got. Yeah, yeah. You need that. You need you need time to rest. Boy, when they light them beacons. I'm going to lose it. Because this, this one isn't at the draft house. The draft, like, what, last time I saw Return of the King, I was worried I was going to get kicked out. <laughs> now you can go buck wild. I want, I want to take my Anduril that you bought me. And AC says they will not let me in. 
You should not do and that. And I'm like, there is no way that I will be the the only person trying to get a sword into that movie theater. And it's it's a it's a toy, so it's foam. It's fine. Matt, what is giving you comfort this week? Well, Chris, sometimes it's the little things that uh that bring us comfort that Like hobbits. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes it's the gift you buy yourself that is really worthwhile. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm about to sound as 40 years old as I've ever sounded on this show. But I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. One thing that I have discovered over the past year plus is the benefits of brushing my teeth with an electric toothbrush. Oh, hell yeah. And I got really used to using one. I was really pleased to have one. And then around the time, also, I had to get my uh, root canal a few months ago, my electric toothbrush just like stopped working. Like it just burned out. Like I would hit the button and it would just kind of go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I had to toss it and I had to go back to a manual toothbrush and that sucks. After using an electric toothbrush, going back to a manual toothbrush, it's like, it's like, I don't know, going from cars to walking everywhere for miles and miles like it's it's just it's it's like you've taken a step back in human progress you know and so i ordered a slightly nicer electric toothbrush and it arrived today nice and how you know i'm an old person is that i'm excited to use that electric toothbrush when i brush my teeth tonight Uh uh-huh I'm excited uh, for you. There's, there's honestly, for for people of our advanced age, I don't know if I'll ever experience again the kind of feeling that I had the first time I used an electric toothbrush. Yeah, as an adult, and I was like, "Oh, this is what it's supposed to be." Yeah, this is this is a truth that I was living my life without. I'm gonna say. You should, if you are in your 20s listening to this, or in your 30s listening to this, and you have not used an electric toothbrush, do yourself the favor of of acquiring one, because it is so, so worth it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what toothbrush i use because they are not a sponsor but actually very easily could be Uh uh-huh you you've heard of them on podcasts oh you use one of those okay i I use a more traditional dental brand not an online brand uh but i think they're all they're all worth it Uh, i've been been thinking about getting into the wire cutter recommended brand so we'll Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. maybe that'll be the treat i give to myself you should. You should. Just want to let you know, I did find that Akira commercial, and I did drop it in the chat. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna save it 
for later in the episode. This is definitely the one. It's Akira, Record of Lodos War, Demon City Shinjuku, and yeah. uh, uh, Zerum. I... It has that one shot from Akira, and I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Where there's a, a door that says adults only on it. And and it's like slowly being opened. And it's just to a bar. It's just going into a bar in the movie. But in the ad, it's portrayed as something so salacious. It's going into the porno store. Yeah, it, right at the beginning of the ad, it's warning. The following offer is for mature audiences only. Th- that is also a Columbia House uh, subscription thing, so that must be the best of anime one. Do people still care about mature audiences, or was that just in the 90s? I think it was just in the 90s, yeah. I, I feel uh, like I haven't heard about mature audiences for a while. One of the tapes that you could get in the, that collection is Record of Lotos War, tape one, which I definitely owned. Which is just which is just a fantasy. It's just a fantasy anime. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chris, what's bringing you joy? Anime. Uh, I'll tell you what's bringing me joy, Matt. Uh, I got to dive into uh, something that I kickstarted, uh, something that I was a Kickstarter backer for uh, this week, which I had a lot of fun with, and I'm anticipating having a little bit more fun. Uh, which is the Dimensions Mystery Manor, uh, which is a really cool. Uh, like escape room type game, but the mansion that you are exploring is a pop up. Uh, everything comes fully assembled. Y- you get this giant, like tabloid sized, it- it Wednesday comic sized, <laughs> uh, uh, like hardcover thing. You open it up, and this two story creepy mansion full of puzzles. Uh, just kind of, you know, pops up to life. Uh, it is made by the Mysterious Package Company, which is uh, not a sponsor, but could be. Uh, a company that uh, I first heard of because uh, I think they were sponsoring uh, podcasts, and they uh, definitely uh, did a tie-in for the Adventure Zone. Uh, they made uh, some puzzle stuff for them. Uh, that was the uh, the Tacos Correspondence Course. Uh, set that they made. Uh, and I don't have... Matt, I'm not a stupid man. You're not. Thank you. Thank you. I gave you a second chance at it because I knew this time you could pull You could pull through. <laughs> I, knew, I knew this time you wouldn't make the same mistake again. Good job. Uh, I have honestly always wanted to do an escape room with you and me and AC and Marlene, because I feel like the, like that covers all the bases of the kinds of puzzles I'm good at are very different from the kinds of puzzles AC is good at. Like I'm very good at word games, anagrams and stuff like that. AC is good at codes. I'm hopeless at codes. Uh huh. But you know, years of years of reading detective comics, comics have taught me to always Real quick anagram an unfamiliar name, just to see if it's the Joker. Uh, <laughs> right. But this one is, like, I like the theme of it. The idea is that you are the latest person who has been hired to go into this mansion and discover its mysteries. Uh, 
it has like a really fun, cool little wheel that you uh, each each puzzle has a solution uh, that is three numbers, and so you have this uh, little code wheel that you turn this dial to check and see if the numbers that you have are correct. Uh, and despite the fact that each of these puzzles lends its like has an answer that is a three digit sequence they get a lot of variation in what those puzzles are. Uh, there's uh, one that's about like literally like finding books in the mansion that are like in cabinets. And like, there's one in a toilet that uh, you can actually like reach in and open up. There's one about like, you know, symbols that are drawn on the walls that you have to count. There's all kinds of stuff like that. I wish it was a little bit more explicit about how you needed to solve a particular puzzle. Uh, because there is, there's a, a hint book that has, I think, three hints for everything plus the answer in it. So if you start to get frustrated, you can get some guidance. But I feel like that first hint is essentially like the instructions for how we're going to solve this. And... Once I have that direction, I'm usually okay. But I think that's, you know, that I think is the element of escape rooms that I find intimidating of of not quite knowing what kind of puzzle I'm solving. So this has been really fun. I think it's really well designed. Uh, Like I said, I was a Kickstarter backer. uh, So I don't know if the uh, version of it that is going to be commercially available is the same as what I got. It came with a very nice magnifying glass. Uh, so I have now gotten two magnifying glasses from crowdfunding campaigns. D- yours being the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like it's it's really cool. I highly suggest looking it up. Dimensions, like like Doctor Doom, and then Dimensions, uh, Dimensions Mystery Manor. Go take a uh, some. Go take a look at some of the pictures of this thing, and you can see like why I saw it, and I was like. Yes, I want this. Uh, very fun time. And uh, the puzzles that didn't make me feel stupid did make me feel really smart. And that's very important to me. <laughs> Matt, what is bringing you joy this week? Well, Chris, our oral pal, Harris Bomber Guy. <laughs> yeah, bud. Has released a new video just in time for the holidays. And <laughs> every time I see an H bomber guy video, I have to watch it. But this one in particular is like laser focused directly at me and my interests, because it is a comprehensive look at plagiarism on YouTube. And it's not just, the typical plagiarism on YouTube kind of video where it's like a friend of mine got their stuff stolen in somebody else's video. And so I'm going to take down the person who stole from my friend, which is what you usually see, right? Like H bomber guy has even done videos about plagiarism before about a guy stealing from his bloodborne video specifically. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But this video is a more comprehensive look at the problem of plagiarism on YouTube and ends up being largely about one guy who is 
clearly just a serial plagiarist. But part of it is also like the ecosystem of YouTube. There are a lot of people who put out a lot of videos really quickly, and kind of the only way that they can pull that off is to steal other people's shit. And so he he builds cases on these particular people um, doing what they do, not even necessarily because of who they are or like their moral failings, even though they have them. It's sort of kind of like a nature of the beast YouTube content thing, which is not just on YouTube, by the way. TikTok is rampant with this shit as well. Like people stealing other people's content and also people just like parroting the most inaccurate, horrible misinformation you can find. But nonetheless, I I strongly advise watching the video. It is over three hours long and absolutely worth watching. It also provides proof of something that I've known for a long time, but I've never actually been able to prove, which is that internet historian sucks. I watched that. I also watched that video the day it went up. And then Uh I watched the companion video and then i watched the other guy's video about the guy the the main subject of h-bomber guy's video yeah yeah it was that was todd in the shadows that did the the other video i believe you've recommended before here yeah 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 um and i went like i i went through a whole like roller coaster of emotions of like I don't know who this guy is and then I was kind of like fuck this guy and then I was like I had like this moment of sympathy because you and I have both had jobs before where we had to produce content constantly yeah yeah uh like like back at comics alliance I had to do three articles a day and like at least one every week I played myself into making like a two or 3000 word deep dive onto whatever. Uh, and I'm, you know, really proud of a lot of those, but like that was a grind that would have killed me had I continued it. So I did have a moment of like sympathy for these people of being like, well, yeah, now they're kind of like locked into this thing where like, this is their job and they're just trying to, like keep up with this demand. And then I came back around to fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. But well, like, th- th- but by the time I got through all three videos, I was kind of like, like feeling a little bit bad for him again. Yeah. Like let's give this guy a break. Cause he's not the only plagiarist on YouTube. <laughs> he, yeah. he might be the worst of them, but he's not the only one. But, but I think what it comes down to is it is a marriage of, this need to feed the beast of content. But also, like, I think there's sort of this laissez-faire, oh, I don't need to cite my sources, no one will care kind of thing. Because one of the the key points that H-Bomber Guy and Todd in the Shadows both make is that they cite their sources when they feel like they have to. 
when they feel like the source is too important not to cite. They think they can get away with it, though, if they think the source of the information is below them or beneath them or doesn't warrant being cited. And that's part of why I don't feel bad (laughs) for the people who are being called out for uh, doing plagiarism, which is a thing that I do think a lot of people online tend to just shrug off because they're like, it's the internet. But we gotta we gotta live in a society here. Yeah. And I I think a key thing in this video is that the examples are so rampant that I think it goes beyond something that I know I've done before, which is just the the that the steady stream of content goes both ways, right? So you're taking in so much stuff that a lot of times you just kind of absorb something and you forget where you got it, and you it is now just a fact you know. And when you're creating something, it's you know obviously it's on you to kind of look that stuff up. But I I know that I've I'm sure that I've written things where I've repeated something without realizing where I've gotten it or whatever. But the the level to which it is done in these things is so extreme, yeah. That it is it it is again. You kind of like go through the cycle of losing sympathy. Um, I do think the I, I I think the one thing that I disagree with is you know you mentioned that like there is a like they'll they'll credit when they think they have to. And there's definitely like, I I feel like there is a malice to this, uh, like to the crediting of certain sources, but not others or to the crediting of sources, but not like, you know, like presenting them in a way that is your out for, well, I did credit this person. I think there is a malice ascribed to that, that I think is more easily ascribed to, to simple idiocy. (laughs) Like, you you know, I think if you do it once, yes. I think if you do it enough times, especially after people say, Hey, why aren't you crediting your sources? That it becomes malice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I think that's that's also fair, but I think yeah. there's you know there 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 becomes a a sinisterness that is ultimately immaterial, but he he makes a, a very good point. Honestly, all three of those videos are good and worth watching. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, as is, uh, I knew about some of the Cinemassacre stuff because uh, Sarah Zed uh, did a video. It was. Lady Emily. Lady Emily did a video yeah, yeah, about uh, why uh, Angry Video Game Nerd is bad now. <laughs> sorry, uh, that, my mistake. Uh, Sarah Zed and Lady Emily often co-write, so I sometimes conflate yeah. the two in my head. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like that is also like a good video to watch that is very interesting about that. All right, Chris. Those are our comforts and joys, which means it's time to talk about some comics that came out this week. The winner of the Texter's Choice for this week, there's actually two winners, but I'm going to give the award to Avengers number eight. The 
book that you texted me specifically about. Uh, which what I texted you is, uh, it's very fun to uh, <laughs> to watch the Avengers fight Grant Morrison and Mark Miller's The Ultramarine Corps. Yes. Uh, this this week's issue of Avengers continues the trend of this run, not a complaint, feeling a lot like the Morrison JLA. Uh, and this is not, like, pursuant to our recent conversation, this is not a thing where I think Jed McKay is, like, ripping off JLA. I think Jed McKay likes JLA, <laughs> and so do I. So I'm stoked right. about it. But yeah, this, right. this definitely gave me some real, uh, some, well, it is almost unavoidable when you're doing like a King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table thing with superheroes, with a superhero group, and it's kind of cosmic, uh, that it, it's going to feel like Morrison JLA, like the big seven era JLA. Like that's, cause that's the, like that came up so many times in discussions of that run and textually in that run. So I, again, I don't think that's necessarily what's happening, but this absolutely felt to me like the Ultramarine Corps story and the start of DC 1 million. And again, if you know about your boy, not a complaint. I do want to point out one thing. I think you're totally right on that. I do want to point out one thing. This is a book all about the Avengers fighting a version of the Arthurian Arthurian Roundtable who are also like vigilantes who want to capture Kang. Like they're like rival heroes as they're presented here. You'd think at some point the Avengers would be like, Hey, we went back to King Arthur times one time because of Morgan Le Fay. No one in this no one in this comic says, so y'all got like a King Arthur thing going on, huh? Yeah. Like no one says Scarlet that. Witch. Scarlet Witch in particular definitely would remember that time they went back to King Arthur times. In the Kurt Busiek, George Perez run of Avengers. <laughs> yeah. I, Just an interesting the point. Thing is, I feel like that is not like story wise, that is so much less of a comparable story than like fighting the Ultramarine Corps <laughs> and the no, Jailer no, Million. The stories are not similar. I just think it's weird that they would be like, oh yeah, King Arthur, we, we, we went back to that time one time. We know Morgan Le Fay. We fought her a bunch of times. That's all. It's very funny. But yeah, like I, I'm. Highly enjoying this run. Same, same. Uh, the secondary Texture's Choice winner is Batman Santa Claus Silent Night, number one. Uh, oh, by the way, the Avengers, we said Jed McKay uh, is writing it. Uh, there's also art in this issue by... C.F. Via. C.F. Via, who's... CFV, who's been doing the art on the series pretty much from the beginning. So, uh, good stuff. Um, the Howard Porter of today. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, brackets positive. Brackets, uh, brackets uh, pra- praise. Yeah. 
uh, Batman Santa Claus Silent Night, which has a cover by Dan Mora, uh, and is written by uh, Jeff Parker, uh, with art by Michelle Bandini. Fun issue. This is this is just Batman meeting Grant Morrison's claws, though, right? It sure does feel like it. Yeah, it sure does feel like it. Like especially with that Dan Mora cover, and especially yeah. with this being the second or third year in a row that we haven't gotten a claws. Where you at, Grant? Dan Mora's drawing monthly books. Where you at, Grant? Maybe maybe it's not Grant's fault. Maybe it's Dan Mora being too busy. Maybe maybe put maybe put that fiction suit on, and and, and trade places with Santa Claus so I can get what I want this Christmas, which is a new issue of Claus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I the the reason I texted you and Benito, a this is a Santa and Krampus story where Krampus does turn out to be the villain. Yeah, but the the history of Santa Claus and Krampus is that they are friends. Is that that Krampus scares children and then Santa feels bad about it and gives the children toys and that's how we got Santa Claus, or at the very least, like Santa, like tamed Krampus, and if they weren't friends, they had a an understanding, yeah, at some point the, where they could work together. Benito has always described like has always said that saying uh, Santa is good and Krampus is bad is like saying Superman is good and Batman is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is an apt comparison. Uh, the main thing in this issue, though, is that when Santa shows up, Batman's like, oh yeah, uh, I know that guy. Uh, we met during my years abroad. He showed me a few things I still use. Because of course, Batman trains under the best. and. That's true. That is that is now Detective Comics Comics continuity. There ain't there ain't else worlds on this. They don't talk about hypertime in this. That is Detective Comics Comics continuity, as it should be. What gets me is later on, Dick Grayson Nightwing says that he didn't believe it when Bruce told him that he knew Santa, because he was just trying to make Santa sound more cool. Uh, and when I texted you both this, Benita was like, yeah, more like make Batman sound more cool. And I agree. <laughs> but also, of all the Bat family, the one who should unquestionably believe this is Dick Grayson. Dick should absolutely be like, oh yeah, did you guys not know? Did you guys not know that Bruce knew Senna? Like, that is the only quibble I have with this. There is a, a bit just before that where Santa shows up and he tells Dick that he got his message. I think he means like his message about the Draugr showing up in Gotham city. Like, like across oh, right. the, the enemies in this, the, 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 the villains in this until Krampus shows up are the like zombies from Skyrim, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, or or from uh, God of War, which makes sense because Santa definitely has Kratos vibes. Yes, very much so. Boy. Also, I love that this is a miniseries that's going to be coming out weekly, all month. Fuck yes. That'll be great. 
That'll be fun. Yes. Uh, again, it's what I want. Santa should like go fighting a bunch of enemies with Damien, and he should call him boy. I I fully agree. Yes. Lastly, you wanted to talk about Batman number 140, which I did not have a chance to read yet. So tell me about it. Uh, well, Matt, as you might remember, the last issue of Batman involved uh, all of the multiversal Batman of Zer and R showing up. True. And in this issue, Batman fights all the Batman of Zer and R in his mind palace. Okay. Speaking of the shit I like. What I want out of comic books, it's this. Because it's it's fully Bruce Wayne in a mindscape fighting Michael Keaton Batman and talking about how he can't turn his head and trapping them in his mind palace, which is Wayne Manor. Like an M.C. Escher Wayne Manor. That, that is the shit I like. Uh, all the while, by the way, the Batman of Zeranar is in control of Batman's body and is going to kill the Joker. <laughs> and does the does the Bane backbreaker to the Joker. Oh damn. Okay. Yeah. This comic rules. And then there's and then on top of that, there's two twist endings. Because <laughs> there is a there's a twist ending to the main story. And then there is also a uh, backup story that uh, that Chip Zdarsky is also writing. Uh, the main story by uh, Chip Zdarsky and Jorge Jimenez, who is does a phenomenal job uh, doing a Frank Miller, Bruce Tim, Kelly Jones impression, and like Dick Sprang, and also drawing like you know the Adam West and Michael Keaton Batman's. Like does a phenomenal job. The backup uh, story is by Chip Starsky and Mike Hawthorne, uh, who's also fantastic. Uh, and that one, I I was reading this, and I was 100% sure it was going to be Vandal Savage joining the Black Glove. And I think it might still be. Because I think, I think it has become clear, people who really like Grant Morrison comics are now doing all the comics. That's true. But, that's what it is, is they're going to make Vandal Savage the commissioner of police. <laughs> Wild. Wild. Police commissioner Vandal Savage. Yeah. Give, give me the immortal caveman who fought Batman in caveman times as the commissioner of police in Gotham City. Please. I fucking love comic books. Weeks like this remind me that I fucking love comic books. <laughs> Well, Chris, uh, it's time to remind ourselves even more why we love comic books by putting some of the rawest moments in comics history on our list of Thursday Night Raw. There was no training or taming of me and my bra. Live like a man, but I'm animal raw. Matt, before we get started, I have a question for you. And I thought of this a couple days ago, and I almost texted you. But I thought this is something that you might have an opinion about that we should talk about on the show. Okay. We've talked before about the qualities of a comic moment that is raw. Mm-hmm. And we have mentioned that 
you can have a good moment that isn't raw, and you can have an exciting moment that isn't raw, and you can... There are qualities that are not mutually exclusive, right? Like, just because it's good doesn't mean it's raw. Correct. Here's my question. Can a bad moment be raw? I think it's possible. I think a moment in a bad comic can definitely be raw. I think it's more likely for a raw moment to be good and also in a good comic because you're more likely to feel something. And rawness is all about what you feel. Right? That's true. But I'm not going to preclude a bad moment or a bad comic from having something raw in it. While we're on this topic, the Discord has made an interesting distinction that I think is also worth bringing up. Because we've talked about how stuff that is raw is usually heroic moments, right? It's not usually villains doing the things that are raw. Or if it is a villain doing something raw, like Magneto putting Red Skull in a hole, they're the one in the right in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. So a few posters on the Discord started talking about some moments involving Vanessa Fisk that are definitely like intense and really good. Interesting. But they've determined Gabo Pagan, I think is this person's name on the discord. They they posted a couple of moments involving Vanessa Fisk. And while I do not think those moments could necessarily be called raw, the Discord is calling these moments ice cold. And I think that is That's a different thing. That is the villain version of rawness. Or, or it is a different thing, but if there's gonna be a moment that involves a villain doing villain shit that is at least comparable to raw, then it's ice cold. So you're saying that villains are cooler than being cool. That's right. Because, like, Raw is not hot. Raw is also cold. Raw can be hot. Raw can be room temperature. If it's hot, it's cooked. I mean, I mean, hot in the in the hot fire sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, like the bear says on the bear. That's correct. Like the but bear, the ver- Kevin Von Erich says. The version, the villain version of Raw being ice cold, I think is really clever. I think so, that's, that's, that's good. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Because yeah, I would say, like, I did it 35 minutes ago. That's, that's ice not cold. necessarily Raw. That is ice cold. That's ice cold. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, interesting to think about. Uh, all right. Here's our first submission. It's from Kevin J. Maroney, and hey. we have to disqualify it 
from the get-go because it is the cover to Avengers JLA number four, which is that cover that has Superman holding Thor's hammer and Captain America's shield. Yeah. It's a cover. We've already said we can't, we can't do covers. It's dope. It's, it's fucking rad. Yeah. Like it's, it's dope as hell. But it's it doesn't qualify as raw, I don't think. I think they should have gone all out and given him fucking web shooters <laughs> and and fucking vision gems. Some Iron Man armor. Yeah. Green Lantern Ring, Batarang. I I think that Sabre does happen. I think that does happen in the comic. It does happen in the comic. Where Captain or uh, Superman has Thor's hammer and super and uh Captain America's shield for a moment. But it's it literally lasts one page. Yeah. Uh and it's not as good as you want it to be based on the cover. Yeah, I mean it's 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 good though. But yeah, that it's it's not as that I would have rather had that as had this cover as a splash page yeah. in the comic when that happens than than have it as the cover. Because like yeah, it's it's cool when it happens in the comic, but also it's like it is a I mean it's it's a George Perez page where there's a lot going on, and I know that this book was uh was I, I'm sure music had a hard time cramming everything into four oversized issues that he wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a quarter of a page or less. And like, it's that's a dope enough moment that it should be, it, it needed to be a splash page. Yeah. And it also kind of doesn't pay off at all. Like I do like has- the bit later where Superman tries to pick the hammer up and he can't. And Thor's like, yeah, I mean, like, like, Odin lifts the enchantment because he's not an idiot, but, like, it is kind of my thing, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not as good as you want it to be, uh, the actual moment in the comic. So I think we're going to disqualify this altogether, uh, Kevin. But I, I appreciate the effort uh, to, uh, to, get it, to get it in here. Yeah, uh, I, I respect. Right. I respect that it does happen in the comic, and when it does happen, it is the version of this fan service page that makes sense, and and does matter in the story. But yeah, it's not it's it's not raw in the same way as like Goku beating Demon King Piccolo. All right, here's our next submission. is from Lou Shoemaker, who says, "I know you guys didn't read this, but I'm submitting it anyway." It's from X Men Red 2022, number six. More like X Men haven't read it. Yeah. Uh, it's a Judgment Day tie in where Storm and Magneto intermingle their electromagnetic powers, and the caption says, Such intimacy is reserved for lovers, but we did not come to make love, we came to make war. And they do a big lightning bolt. That's pretty cool. Yeah. No, is that, is that, is that pretty the good. Al Ewing X-Men Red? It is the Al Ewing X-Men Red, yes. 
that that seems like a catch up candidate. I I wish it wasn't seventeen issues long. Uh, but I wish it was. We read fucking eighteen issues of Fate. Yeah, in two parts. Seventeen issues of an Al Ewing comic. In two parts, we had to break up Fate into two parts. Buddy, we wouldn't know how to break it up if it was Al Ewing writing the man called Fate. I'll tell you that for free. All right, if 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 people think that we should do X Men Red as a catch up in twenty twenty four, then say so. Then let us know. It's uh, a cool ass storm costume in this book. I'm looking at the pages now, and it is not as cool as I imagined it to look. Based on the description of it, I unfortunately have to admit. Uh, it's Al Ewing and Stefano Caselli uh, on X-Men Red. So, I don't know. Let us know if that should be a catch-up. We do. I'm going to send you a an image for this next one, Chris. Okay. All right. I'm not doing another comic strip. It's not a comic strip. This image Nothing is a panel. Nothing that's happened in a strip has ever been raw. <laughs> wow, really taking a stand here. Uh, all right, this next submission is from CJ Crawl. It is from Harley's Little Black Book number four, where bombshells dare, in which Big Barda beats Nazis with a Nazi. Uh, yeah, I can tell you what. That's a great panel. <laughs> that's a great panel. That's a great panel. I, I, I'll, buddy, I'll tell you this. There is something that I always love. Something that I will always pop for in co- superhero comics, in action movies, in professional wrestling. The only three arenas in which I think this happens. But when someone picks a dude up and uses that dude to beat another dude, mm-hmm. that's great. That's always good. When it's Nazis, even better. Uh, this book is written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. And it has art by Billy Tucci. Talking about Billy Tucci from Billy Tucci's She? That's who I'm talking about. You know, well, okay. The even better, even better, Chris. Billy Tucci is the main credited artist, but you know who else drew pages in this book? Uh, Joseph Michael Lindner. You know, you got it of Dawn. Incredible. Is, are, is this this has to be Harley's little black book number one half? You can <laughs> only get by mailing away from Wizard Magazine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's number four. It's issue number four, and uh, I'm 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 looking now for the moment where Barda uh, beats the Nazis with another Nazi. Because my only kind of worry about it, because it does seem like a small panel, it kind of seems like a background gag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I found it. I found it. It is it is really just this one panel. Uh 
but it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I do like the idea of of this issue being Harley going like having her own multiversal adventure and going to the Bombshells universe. Those Bombshells comics actually underrated. Those are a yeah. lot of fun. Uh, yeah. to be to be a comic based on a series of statues i think like maquettes that were like you know what if what if power girl was a pinup girl and then they wound up doing a comic but they got like marguerite savage and and people to do them like shocking like no reason for those comics to be as good as they are but they're very they're very fun and i i do i mean look i'm always i'm always going to pop for uh a dude getting hit with a dude and i'm always going to pop for nazis getting beaten to death and i'm always going to pop for big barda that's a triple pop that's pop 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 i i i I sha- I I shan't normally pop for uh Billy Tucci of Billy Tucci she but I'm willing to make an exception. I can't tell if this page is a Billy Tucci page or a Joseph Michael Lindsner page. That I is think a it's Billy a Billy Tucci page. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a Billy Tucci page. Do you I sort I of Matt, they're very different. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh I sort of wish that this art was different. It's like you, you mentioned like Marguerite Savage and, and some of the other bombshells artists. Like, I feel like they would probably do a better job than this. I feel like this art is not the best. And it is also just one single panel. That is kind of a gag. It's it's fun. It's a fun moment. It's great to see Nazis getting beaten with other Nazis. But I don't know if it's pulled off as well as it could be, and I don't know if I would call it good enough to be on the Raw list. I mean, look, we would all love it if Amanda Connor drew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but that is not the comic we have. I, I will tell you, I... I think this goes above Phantom Lady throwing a fencing sword through a guy and below the glory boat. I don't think it goes above Phantom Lady throwing a fencing sword through a guy. Really? Yeah, I think Phantom Lady throwing a fencing sword through a guy is much rawer than this. I mean, Luffy giving Nami his hat and going to fight Arlong is also probably pretty pretty good. It, it It's gotta be... It's got to be above Catwoman with Prometheus right in the beanbag. No, that's better. No, Captain America, Captain America growing to kaiju size is better. Yeah, but he talks about fighting a Hitler. He's fighting a metaphorical Hitler in that moment, and Bard is beating actual Nazis to death with a Nazi that she is also beating to death. The difference is, this is a random. It's not a random moment, but it's like. It's like a clip in a montage, whereas there's been a build to that Captain America moment that we talked about. There is a build to Catwoman hitting Prometheus in the beanbag. There's, I mean, mm, kinda. 
it's this it, is a it's, gag. Catwoman, Catwoman whipping Prometheus is also kind of a gag, but it's also a deflection and a break of tension and a resolution to that conflict that makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't know about what about this doesn't make sense to you, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying it's not a resolution to anything. It's, it's like, look, part of my problem is that the, the art of the Nazis that are getting beaten is just like Nazi puree here at the bottom of the panel. <laughs> like, what is, what, what is not good about that though? It does. It could. It could look so much better. Beat it him in the look, mush, man. I don't know. It looks like fucking web comic art to me. It looks like. Wow. I, I mean that in yeah parentheses derogatory. It looks like fucking because <laughs> there's because there's good web comic art, but like Billy Tucci's no Chris Onstad. I know what you're saying. It looks like fucking sluggy freelance. It does not look good. And uh, that's part of the problem for me. All right, where do you, do you, okay, do you think it makes, I think it makes the list. I, all right, if it makes the list, it the highest it'll go for me is 36, under Earth 2 Invaders Drop Dead. I, I am, I am shocked. I think all the I, other raw moments we have are raw. Uh, I would, I would absolutely put it at thirty. No, that that Captain America moment is so much better. All right, all right. I can't. I I feel Matt. You don't often take a stand. You don't often feel this passionately, and so I feel like I can't. I can't talk you out of this one. So okay. I, I would feel so much. I would feel so much better about this moment if the art was better, but it's not. <laughs> uh, so okay, at the new number thirty-six is bombshell. Big Barter beats Nazis to death with another Nazi. I, I, I I'm glad we ended up putting it on the list, but I think anywhere higher would be too high. All right, here we go. Here we go, Chris. Here is a submission from Patrick O'Duffy, Boss Dog Eternum. Hey, Matt and Chris, there's been talk about what would classify as raw for villains. The answer is the last four pages of Batman 497 and the first four pages of Detective Comics 664. Here is your hero, your protector. Take him and bury him. Yeah, that shit's good. This is when Bane breaks Batman's back. You didn't have to tell me, man. I'm explaining to the listeners. (laughs) You did not have to tell me what happens in Batman number 497. I know that you know. What happens in Batman 500. Right. Right. My favorite part of this is that, canonically, Wayne Manor is outside of Gotham City proper. Batman has to go into the city. That's why in the 70s he moved to Wayne Tower. Yeah. Batman 
497 takes place at Wayne Manor. Like, they fight in the Batcave. They fight in Wayne Manor, then they fight in the Batcave. Batman gets his back jacked up in his own house. The opening to that issue of Detective Comics involves, like, Bane essentially in Gotham City's Times Square. Like, throwing Batman from a billboard. Right. Which means he had to, like, put him in a car. He had to, like, drive him there. Somebody had to drive him there. Yeah. 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 Do you think Bane got an Uber? D- does he not have people? Does he, he not have Bane people who can drive him? He's I, got I mean, he's got, a, he's got a guy. He's got a guy who's driving him around. Bane, Bane does have boys. That is true. Yeah. yeah. Bane's got his Bane boys. I do think... I think people would be more likely to say that the actual breaking of the back is the raw moment, right? The, well, that is encompassed in the last four pages. Yeah. The, the, the instead, I will simply break you, right? But I think... And, this actually breaks a lot of our established rules for what's raw. Because we've said raw is hero stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We've also said raw is when somebody is about to get their ass kicked. But I think the raw moment, and Patrick has nailed this, the raw moment comes right after Batman gets his ass kicked. When Bane says... Here is your hero, your protector. Take him and bury him. And he throws him off that billboard. Or off the side of that building. I I like that there is a dude on the page of Batman laying in a bloody heap on the street who is doing the Action Comics 1 freak out. <laughs> yeah. There's also a dude who's like smirking like a real asshole, but like there's a guy who's doing the full like hands on his head. He's here's he's the, wearing a he's wearing a Gotham Bowl shirt too. Here's the thing, Matt. Mm-hmm. This is a series of raw ass moments. Cause N- Nightfall, and I feel like there's been a critical reappraisal of Nightfall. Nightfall is good. Nightfall, 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 good. Night Night's Quest. Is a varying quality, but Nightfall is good. Yeah, Nightfall's good because Bane is smart. And the idea of the only way you can beat Batman is by making him be Batman until he can't anymore, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, I've often said the death of Superman and Nightfall are great examples of what not just DC comics, but also comics fans think of Superman and Batman because Batman's the, the guy who broke Batman is smart and nightfall is all about his perfectly executed master plan, right? To wear Batman mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Doomsday's a big, dumb idiot. Yeah. Who punches Superman to death. 
Well, this is, uh, I, it was either, uh, Chad Bowers, who I used to write with, or our, uh, mutual friend, Scott, who we used to work with at the comic book store, who first said this, and I know I've repeated it on the show. Nightfall is a story that starts really good and gets really dumb. And Death of Superman is a story that starts really dumb and gets really good. Yeah. Like, Night, Night Quest is not is not what I would call a good comic book story. No. Whereas but, Reign of the Superman is smarter than you would than anybody really gives it credit for. Yeah, Reign of the Superman is actually like pretty good. Like especially yeah. all things considered. But like th- like that whole arc, like everything kind of follows logically and makes sense in it. Batman gets his back healed by magic back healing powers that turn Chandra Tinsolving into a non-character. Like it's it's bad. Yeah. It's they wrote themselves up. the perfect and like way to kill Batman and then had to figure out how to bring him back. So all the setup to like the entirety of Batman 497 is actually like a really good issue. Cause it is like it's taking it's taking Batman and making it Bruce Wayne's fatal flaw. Like, and I really like the way it's presented because it is presented as like, it's not just Bane beating him. It's that he's, you know, when Bane broke everybody out of Arkham Asylum, like Batman's had to fight everybody. He's been in the Royal Rumble since number one, you know, like he's, he's like, he literally says the last thing he says before his, uh, his back gets broken is I'm done. Like he's done. Like he he has pushed himself to human limitations, but like the stealth raw moment, I'm glad that uh, that the last four pages were included and not just the last three pages because the last three pages are Bane lifting him up, Bane breaking his back, and then uh, Bane saying broken and done. The fourth page from the end is when Bane goes beg for mercy, scream my name. No subtext there. Don't think about it. <laughs> and Batman says, "Go back to hell," which is badass. Yeah, I I wish he would. I wish this is the only time I have ever wished Batman would say "fuck you." <laughs> I mean, I think you could read into it that that's what he means. Yes, but like, what a like, you know, beg for mercy. Fuck you. <laughs> I again I'm of the opinion Batman is a cartoon character for children. He shouldn't say cusses like that, but I would have made an if there was if there was one time. There if was, there was, was one a, time once in a lifetime exception. That's yeah. the one. But yeah, like Batman knowing cause cause his internal monologue in that scene is really good too, because he's just like, I'm so fucking tired. I'm I'm hurt. I'm tired. I work with fucking children. Literally, in the case of uh-huh. Tim Drake. Uh-huh. He's eating a muffin like, while he says this. He's eating a muffin. Riddler couldn't r- manage a target. <laughs> what have I ever done to deserve a dumb fuck like the Joker? <laughs> Two-Face shares a bank account with his mother. Tells you everything I, I you was, know. I, th- I was trying to think of who... <laughs> <laughs> Making it two faces, uh, 
subtextual. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I really, I, I liked that his internal monologue is all like, I'm fucking done. I'm so tired. I want to die. But then the, like, he still got it together enough to be like, it's a nice reminder. He's fucking Batman. He's not going to beg for mercy. Yeah. He goes down swinging, which I appreciate. That's, that's well, I, I feel like that's the point where he's like, look, I already said I'm done. That's all you're going to get out of me. He didn't even say that out loud. Like that's, yeah. that's internal monologue, which is, it's yeah. shit. Man. Like, like you're not, I'm not going to let you gloat, you know? Yeah. Like this is gloating and I'm not going to, give you the benefit of having that. Beg for mercy. Fuck you. (laughs) But yeah, like, so I don't know, like, is is this raw? Is it ice cold? Or is it both? I think, well, we can determine at a later date whether it's ice cold. I definitely think it's raw. Okay, which which moment is it is it is it take him and bury him? Yeah. Okay. That's a, I mean that's a good one. I I do I hate that Chuck Dixon's getting on the list. I hate I hate it. Man, if there's one time if there's one time he really deserves it. Like this is this is the one time Chuck Dixon was like I'm going to punch above my weight class. I'm going to be more than a B plus player. The yeah, the all the the whole Batman team on Nightfall is doing really good work because uh, Batman 497 is Doug Monch, yeah, uh, and Jim Aparo. It's good. It's good as hell. Uh, but yeah, like I I I hate that I have to hand it to him. But in this case, I have to hand it to him. Chuck Dixon does a pretty good job. On that issue of Detective Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as much as loath as I am to admit it, I think the dialogue in the Detective issue is a little better than the dialogue in the Batman issue. Because I don't think Bane needs to say, you know, over and done. Like, that's evident, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like, there's some dialogue in there that is unnecessary, but this is your hero. Take him and bury him. That shit. That shit rocks. Yeah, it re- it, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, all right. Let's 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 find the spot. I mean, I I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know where you want to put it. You've been you've been feisty tonight, Matt. You, <laughs> put your worker boots on. Um. Uh, hmm. The only time I'll ever compare you to Chuck Dixon, both you put your worker boots on tonight. Oh wow! Okay, okay. I don't think it's better than Batman versus Prometheus round two. <laughs> that shit rules. <laughs> and I don't think it's better than Jesse fighting Jody. But I could put it. I could put it at number seventeen. 
I think that's an appropriate place for it. Okay. So uh, seventeen. We, we we mentioned uh, everybody else. Is this a, is this a Chuck Dixon Graham Nolan joint? Yeah, it is. Okay, Graham Nolan. Okay. What what a fucking time when the Batman books had Jim Aparo, Graham Nolan, Norm Brayfogle, like all at the same time. What a what a time! What a time! Fucking what a time! Incredible! Klaus Janssen yeah, and those wild Kelly Jones covers. Absolutely bonkers, Kelly Jones covers. Anyway, here's your hero, your protector. Take him and bury him. Extra tip-top points to the lettering there, John Costanza. Mm-hmm. Like, the extra, like, zhuzh he puts on that on the lettering for those lines. Oh, with Bane's scratchy font? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, all right. That is the new number 17 on the list. Uh, here is our next submission. Um, it is from Isabel, uh, who says, I just read something that feels pretty raw to me. Okay. Defenders Beyond, issue two, pages 15 through 19. I feel mm-hmm. the black winter at my back, the dark touch of death. If that is our way forward, we must take it. And don't try to stop me, Lady Tiger. How could I face my son again if I turned tail in the face of the ultimate quest? Instead, I choose a leap of faith to beat impossible odds and impossible gods. For Ta, for eternity, for life, we leap into the fires of knowledge. Follow us, death, if you can. And then, that's when Galactus's hot mom turns into Phoenix. Yeah, bud. I know we've made a we've said a lot of things that might sound like jokes about Galactus's hot mom. They are not jokes. She is my favorite comic book character. <laughs> <laughs> uh Taya rules. Taya rules, yeah. Impossible yeah. odds and impossible gods. A lot of people have done Jack Kirby impressions in in dialogue. Tom Scioli's done it. I've done it. Plenty, plenty of people. Kieran Gillen has done it. Plenty of people have done Mark Wade solid Jack Kirby impressions in in dialogue. I don't know if anybody's ever gotten it as right as Al Ewing did in this book. Yeah, he really everything Taya says is perfect. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Defenders Beyond was a good-ass comic. That all you doing, those Defenders books, good. Good comics. If there's an argument to be made against them, it's that... It's it's a little hard to find an emotional foothold. Because they're very conceptual books, Right? But when Galactus's hot mom Taya becomes Phoenix, it is undeniably fucking dope. Yeah. 
And also the art is so good. It's so fucking good. It is so incredible. Like, becomes Phoenix and is speaking in CMYK. Yes. Uh, Javier Rodriguez uh, is the artist and top-notch shit. Yeah, no, dude, this owns. It's great. Yeah. Just, like, literally impossible odds and impossible gods. That's it's that simple. It's that simple to make these things good. <laughs> okay, that's it. This does skip a couple pa- there's a couple more pages of dialogue between impossible odds and impossible gods and becoming phoenix where Taya says, "I no longer am I the science seer you knew. I am fire and life incarnate. Now and forever I am phoenix." On the off chance that you don't know that's what Jean Grey says when she becomes phoenix. Yes, yes, yes. I I do love the slight touch of taking that Claremont ass dialogue of you know like that is unmistakably Claremont ass dialogue. <laughs> I am fire and life incarnate, but mm-hmm. adding two exclamation points to the ones that are already there and putting life incarnate in quotes makes it like is just enough to make it go with everything else. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Also the fact that when the Phoenix Force shows up, it says, you called out in defiance of death. I heard. I came. That also rules! Uh, no, it's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Fucking love Taya. Taya, literally the best. Literally the best. Weirdly enough, though, it is not the rawest moment Taya has in this story, in this series. I'm not going to say what it is, but there's another moment in this Defender series featuring Taya that to me is raw. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you know the one I mean. Yes. If someone wants to know what I'm talking about, ask me and I'll tell you. But I don't want to tip anybody's hand as far as submissions uh, on the show itself. I mean, go go read Defenders Beyond. Yes. That's yes. what you ought to do. Agreed. Okay, let's rank this one, though. Let's rank Taya becoming the Phoenix. In, in this house, we love and respect Taya of Ta. We do. We love her. Uh, give me a number. Give me a number for this. Taya leaping into the unknown in defiance of death and becoming the Phoenix? That shit's what comics are all about. like that's buddy that's it that's why i love them it's it's when when things are at their darkest and you just gotta leap into the unknown and 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 the power that's there is gonna is gonna come to you when you need it that's why that's why i read them yeah it rules it's this is better 
This is better than Thanos asking Ben Grimm what time it is. This is better than Batman uh, turning him up into an operating table. Don't know it's better than Balder taking up the sword. That shit rules. <laughs> okay, so that would make this the new number eight. Yeah, I'm I'm fully on board for that. Yeah, I think we might have time for one more. This is from David Wood. It's from Watchmen number six. And it's Rorschach saying, none of you seem to understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Okay, look. We, we you and I, Matt, are the pioneers of saying Watchmen is overrated. We are. Uh, well, th- there are others who have said it at, as well, but we, we have said it many times. We've been on the times. cutting edge. I've been yelled at for it. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know if you have, but I have. But people out there who think Watchmen and Sandman are the two best comics ever made. What a life. What a life you must lead. Look. Without the burden of knowledge. Right. So knowledge is pain. <laughs> Incredible. But you, I, I've, been, I've been in these streets. I've said it many times. I agree. Like, you know, Kevin Maroney, who who you have heard on this very episode, as he pointed out, up to that point, there had not been a mainstream superhero comic with that level of craft and detail. And I, I will concede that. I still don't think it's, it's, it's the best. I don't think it's ever been the best. I don't think it was the best in, in 1986. Because fucking Batman Year One <laughs> came out that same year, so like, what are we gonna do? Here's what I will say: it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck, and it doesn't. When it when it hits, it hits, and that shit's good. That shit is that moment is so raw that it made people miss the entire point of the surrounding 12 issues. This is the point I was going to make. It is one of several moments in Watchmen where Rorschach is too cool. Yeah. Alan Moore made Rorschach too cool. And I don't even know if he was doing it on purpose. But it is so hard to read a comic where a guy goes, oh, you think I'm locked up in here with you. No, you're locked up in here with me. And not be like, does this dude rule? Yeah, after he, like, a guy comes at him and he fucks that dude up. Yeah. Like, and then there's the prison riot issue that comes after where he also does a bunch of cool shit and makes jokes. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't blame people who read that book and come away thinking, oh, I get it. Rorschach's the good guy. Ozymandias is the bad guy. No, there's, there's no good guy. There's not really a bad guy. There's a guy who's behind well, the thing 
there there is a bad guy. There well, there are multiple bad guys. There are multiple bad guys, but like there is no villain in the traditional sense. To the point where the guy that everybody thinks is the villain literally says the phrase, "I'm not a villain." <laughs> Or I'm not a serial. I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not some republic serial villain. Yes. Yeah. I'm. I'm not a predictable pulp villain. If we if we engage with Watchmen on its own terms, then we are. Th- that is a book that asks you to accept that Ozymandias is the smartest person in the world, and that what he does in that book averts nuclear war and the annihilation yes. of the human race. What he thinks he's doing is the right thing. Yeah. And we are not given any reason at all in that book to not believe that he is correct. That in in the world of Watchmen, there was going to be a nuclear war that would destroy civilization unless Ozymandias did what he did. That is engaging with Watchmen on its own merit. Unfortunately, the guy who shows up and says never compromise even in the face of Armageddon – that is the same sentiment as jumping out into the unknown it, when you're face down with inevitable death and the Phoenix Force coming and turning you into an even hotter version of Galactus's hot mom. Yes. Those are, the vibe is unfortunately the same. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I don't necessarily blame anyone for reading Watchmen and coming away thinking Rorschach is the hero and the cool guy. Because he does, he does the cool stuff. But also, he's a fascist. Yeah. Like, no. Also, he's a weird objectivist and a murderer and a like impossible person and a guy who channels his trauma into violence. Like, no, he's like again, he's not a good guy. Like Watchmen ends with Rorschach possibly fucking it all up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Because Ozymandias killed thousands of people to avert nuclear war, but Rorschach's journals still exist that might expose what Ozymandias did, which could set off that nuclear war anyway. Yeah. Which I really That's like. That's what Watchmen the TV show Watchmen is. I, I like that the Watchmen TV show presents that as like people who think that are like people who think that the moon landing didn't happen. But but in yeah. in the case of Watchmen, they are correct. Right. It, it, they write it off as, yeah, yeah, Rorschach's journals got published, but it was fringy nonsense. Yeah, it, they got published in the equivalent of the Weekly World News. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. As a character, and as like, especially in that roster, where, you know, Ozymandias is is revealed to have been the prime mover behind the plot in the role of a villain. Like, the traditional role of a villain. That's, like, one of the things about Watchmen. The world is saved by the person who is traditionally in the structural role of a, of a villain. We have the comedian. Enough said. We have Dan Dreberg, who sucks. We have... Who, who is passive. Who who is passive and who gave up? Like, yeah. like yeah, like they outlawed superheroes and he gave up. Like, and now he sucks and he has metaphorical dick problems. 
He's he's the other side of the coin of Rorschach, which is also bad. Yeah. Like, you can't just give up at the first sign of trouble, but you also can't be intractable. You have to be in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. You have to compromise because because that's the only way that like you don't become an extremist and shoot murder people with a grappling hook. <laughs> Keep your principles. Yeah. But also be a reasonable person who lives in the world. Yeah. So Ozymandias is a structural villain. Dan Dreberg sucks. Uh, Dr. Manhattan is an unrelatable character who does not care about humanity. Dr. Manhattan is inhuman. It lacks humanity. He, is, he, he has no humanity anymore. Yeah. The comedian he, is the is the worst person alive. Mm-hmm. And, and Sally is a woman in a mid-80s Alan Moore comic. Yeah, I said it. You can tell him I said it. <laughs> so, of that roster of characters, you're gonna you're gonna root for the one who does the cool shit and who gets the cool lines and, and like, who sticks it to the assholes. Yeah, sticks it to the bullies because that whole issue is about Rorschach being bullied as a kid and then him taking it out on these guys in this prison that are locked in there with him. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Rorschach's a Steve Ditko hero. (laughs) Yeah. But a Steve Ditko hero is also the best superhero in the history of comic books. There's a, there's a reason that people come away with it. And part of that reason is, yeah, the shit he does is cool. Like, not all of it, obviously, but some of the shit he does is pretty fucking cool. And telling those dudes, you're trapped in here with me, that's badass. All right, let me make one point real quick, and then we got to rank this and we got to wrap up this episode. Okay. I do think people confuse the moment from the movie with how the line is presented in the comic. In the movie by visionary director Zack Snyder Rorschach actually says the line in prison where he's like I'm not locked up in here with you, you're locked up in here with me, and then he gets into a prison fight, right? In the comic the line is presented as the psychiatrist remembering that Rorschach told him that like the the psychiatrist is brewing a pot of coffee and he's like like it, it's actually after that that riot in the lunchroom right and the psychiatrist is saying the guards were dragging Rorschach away and he said to the other inmates none of you understand i'm not locked up in here with you you're locked up in here with me and immediately after that, the psychiatrist is like, man, he's getting worse. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this guy. Wouldn't it be cool if that guy's son became Rorschach too? Oh, God. Wouldn't that be rad? It's like such a good idea. Um, underrated line in this issue is when the, the psychiatrist walks in uh, for one of his sessions with Rorschach. 
and he says, how are you? And Rorschach answers, in prison, yourself? Yeah. That's funny. That is funny. Like, sorry, you gave the guy the funniest lines. You gave him the money lines. You made him too cool, Alan. You made him too cool. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like the question of whether that's on purpose, I think it is on purpose because that's the, you know, like, you, you don't want to, you don't want to hang out with John McClane, you know? Yeah. You don't want to hang out with Dutch. Cause they're, cause they're like John McClane's an asshole, you know? Like that's that's canon. <laughs> so I I think that is like the portrayal. Like there is a a I think Alan Moore wanted to portray a certain kind of of extreme thinking that goes hand in hand with like what you would have to do to be a costume vigilante. Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, been... that shit is also kind of cool. He does spend the like the whole second half of this issue killing dogs. He kills so he kills one dog. It's brutal though. <laughs> it I, I mean yeah. yeah okay it's two dogs. He kills multiple dogs yeah yeah. Look I'm not again I'm not defending him. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Shit that he does in this issue and in the riot, like the fucking the jokes about Big Figure, are some of Alan. Like Alan Moore does not write comedy often, but when he does, he's actually very good at it. Oh yeah, he's great at it. Yeah, like a lot of his his funnier stuff, like that you get in the ABC books, uh, like it is genuinely really funny, and like. Rorschach quipping with Big Figure is very fucking funny. Importantly, though, I think in the scene with the lunchroom fights, he doesn't say a word. Yeah, he just fucks that dude up. He just grabs a tray of hot food and throws it in his face. It's 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 oil. Is that what it is? Right. Okay. Or I, I, well, no. I guess. I guess maybe not. I always thought he was grabbing like a deep fryer. I don't think they'd have that out there. <laughs> probably not. I think it's just food. It's like it's eggs. Food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it still burns the guy. Let's let's rank this. We gotta we gotta wrap up this episode. All of which is to say, this is pretty fucking raw. <laughs> like, it's pretty like, fucking it's raw. Like, sorry. In spite of everything, it's pretty fucking raw. I think it is very... I I think it is up there with Batman turning them up into the operating table. Like, I, I think that's... I think it's very similar. Very similar. Yeah. I, I would put it just below that, because, I mean, you know, we talked about that moment and how, like, how much sense it makes and how good it is for Batman. Yeah, and I think you're right. It, in this, all we're doing is... is being like, okay, look, we know this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I think this is the new number 10. Because uh, it's fucking raw in spite of how much maybe we don't want to admit it, you know? It's... Yeah. If, okay, 
this might be the example of a bad moment being raw. But I don't, because I don't it, think it's a bad moment. It's not a bad moment as far as like a reading experience, but it's a bad moment as far as Alan Moore getting a, across the point of Watchmen to the reader. This this is Alan Moore going counter to the point he's trying to make. We've got we've got uh I'm kind of shocked. Three Alan Moore moments on this list as it stands currently. And not necessarily the ones you might think. Yeah, we uh, we only have two Walt Simonson moments. Well, we can change that. We can change I that. Cuz Thursday Night Raw is going to continue into 2024. It ain't over till we say it's over. It ain't over till we say it's over. Uh, all right. If you would like to send us a Thursday Night Raw moment, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That email address is also where you can send every story ever lists, listener questions, or drop us a line about any old other thing, like maybe sponsoring the show, if you want to do that. I didn't say it earlier. One way to help us on the show is to leave us a review on the podcasting app that you use. Five stars would be a huge help to us and the show. You can contact us also at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com on Tumblr, on Blue Sky at warrocketajax.bsky.social, or on our Discord. You have to be invited to be a member of our Discord, so just ask us for an invitation on one of those other places I just mentioned, and uh, we'll send you one. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. Warrocketwiki.com has all the stuff, all the information you could ever need about this show. So go check that out. If you want to find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isp.com. That is my website, and it's got links to all the stuff that I do. See you next week, everybody, for the Christmas special. That's right. This is our last regular show of the year, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, we've got our Christmas special, and then we'll be on our holiday break till January. Uh, obviously, keep an eye out for com- or an ear out for comics catch up and uh, every story ever towards the end of the month. But as far as the regular weekly show, uh, this is this is the last regular episode. So we we did it, everybody. We made it through another year before Rocket Ajax. We'll be back next time for Christmas. That's right, uh, and it's never too early to start sending in Gordy's categories. To me. Specifically. And gifts. Presents. But I was going to say Gordy's categories. Yeah, that's that, 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 that too. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Be here next week for our third, 14th annual Christmas special. I think that's right, yeah. So many. Hey, it makes me really happy that uh, that something that we have done is part of people's Christmas traditions. I know a lot of people break out the holiday heat and the uh, the the worst Christmas mixtape. I think that the Christmas mixtape draft episode is a modern classic, honestly. Uh, with John Darnielle, with with my hero John Darnielle. Uh, but yeah, like that, that makes me really happy. So hopefully this year will be another one. Uh, Fraction will be here. We've got another special guest. Until then, everybody, don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. As are abortion rights.
Drag is not a crime. And cops are not your friends. But we love you. Happy holidays, everybody. We love you. Yeah!